This is Bench with Jules Makia, and this podcast is going to talk about issues in women's sports. Um, today I have my teammate Charlotte Melgard and then Blair Ramsey from Track and Field. So thank you guys so much for being here. I'm really excited to start this podcast. Before we start anything today, I wanted to issue a disclaimer. So this podcast includes the opinions of Uncut and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own. We want to give a quick trigger warning as we will be talking about disordered eating and eating disorders as well as body image. We will bleep out diet culture stuff like weight and calorie numbers as they may be triggering to those with eating disorders. So, as mentioned, today we're going to talk about eating disorders and body image. And I would like to introduce our guests, Charlotte and Blair, um, and just talk a little bit about yourselves and then we can talk about your journeys. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) I'll start us off. Uh, So I'm Blair. Um, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, Tar Heel, born and raised, senior, mm-hmm. studying psychology and religion, and my story with disordered eating and eating disorders really starts in high school. Um, so just rewinding about four years to when I was a senior in high school, I'd say I had a pretty normal relationship with food. Um, I ate when I was hungry, or it was a social thing to do, or I was craving something sweet, and I didn't really think much about um or wasn't too preoccupied with what I put in my body. But as far as the body image and running side of things go in high school, I was always really aware that I wasn't the smallest on the starting line. Um, I would look next to me and at races, see other girls that were a lot smaller and running the same times or faster than I was. But as I was PRing and running well, um, like, why would I change if what I was doing was working? There was no reason for me to make a change. Uh, but my senior year spring, after I'd signed to run at Carolina, I got really scared about the notion that I was going to be at the bottom of the food chain, that there were going to be a bunch of girls who were faster than me and stronger than me with more years under their belt. And when I looked to them, they were also all smaller than me. And that was really intimidating. So I thought that the way that I was going to be competitive with them was to make myself smaller. And that was going to be my edge. Because in my mind, I didn't know what else I could do to become faster. I mean, I slept nine hours a night. I ate well. I lifted weights. My mental game was fine. Uh, I had a really great balance in my life uh, with things that mattered to me. So losing weight was something that I could quantify uh, and that I could see in my eyes uh, returns on the track. So that journey began um, that spring and continued into the summertime and things got worse when I came to college and all of a sudden I had the freedom and autonomy to put whatever I wanted to in my body or not. (laughs) In college uh, you have uh, control over that for like the first time in your life. So things got really worse during that time and it wasn't that I was not eating it just was that I wasn't eating enough uh, to keep up with working out two or three hours a day so people that didn't know me or even friends or family uh, didn't really think much of my eating habits because like I said it wasn't like I wasn't eating it just wasn't enough uh, to keep up with what I was working out but throughout the fall my body just began to break down I had a terrible time sleeping 
I got sick and couldn't get better. Um, I was running terrible races, like the worst <laughs> of my life. And anytime I'd talk to my mom on the phone or she'd visit, she'd ask if I felt strong. And that was kind of her way of checking in with me, seeing how things were going. In high school, she'd always ask me that after races, did you feel strong? That was kind of her like code of how did the race go without her saying, how'd you feel? Did you feel strong? So when she would ask me that, uh, I would tell her that I did feel strong and she believed me and I believe myself too. Um, And a part of disordered eating is that you don't really realize that it's an issue while you're in it and it sometimes takes uh, some outside perspective to realize that there's something problematic going on. So that continued throughout the fall, still running bad, (laughs) still feeling pretty terrible. And that January, I was diagnosed with a um, stress fracture in my shin. And that was kind of a wake up call for me that I needed help. Um, It took being sidelined for like three weeks for me to admit to myself and others that I needed help. Um, So I talked to my coaches and nutritionists and teammates and they all listened well um, and supported me on my journey to wholeness again. And I thought I was in a pretty good place uh, after I went home that summer, and I was, but I didn't realize that the long-term effects of this period of restriction that would have on my long-term health. And in some ways, I think my body today is still broken uh, dealing with the effects of restriction. Um, I'm in a lot better place than I was then, but I'm still feeling the effects of that. So that's my story. Thank you for sharing. Um, Charlotte, I am obviously (laughs) familiar with your story, being that you're one of my best friends. Um, And I hear a lot of similarities between some of the stuff that Blair just discussed and some of the stuff that you've shared with me. So Uh I'd love if you could share your story. Um, I'm Charlotte. I'm from Chicago, and I'm a sophomore here at UNC. And, um, yeah, similar to Blair's story, I, it all happened the spring of my senior year of high school. Um, I rode lightweight all of my high school career, which I loved and I wouldn't change. Um, and for those that don't know, um, lightweight rowing is just like a separate category. There's open weight and then there's lightweight. And open weight is just anything and then lightweight is you have to be sub Like you're trying to be the max of the smallest you can be. And it's just um, a way for people with like a smaller build to compete at a higher level for their like size, which is a great thing. It offers a lot of smaller girls the opportunity to compete at a really competitive level. Mine wasn't driven from like sports really. I would say like I was so used, I was definitely over the weight that was lightweight rowing. So I was used to every year having to cut weight, which I did healthily. But then it was in those off seasons where I would see the weight gain back on and like just seeing that number change on a scale like, there was something about that that just made me feel like, oh, like, I don't want to see that. So then um, my senior year in the spring, I think it was sort of the disconnect between, like, what a girl is supposed to look like in society and then an athlete. Like, I felt like all my friends who weren't rowers were a lot smaller than me, and they played sports that, like, it was, I don't know, rowing, I think, gives you kind of a different build, and it's not something that always is attractive, arguably, like... Um, so I think I became really conscious of that, and then 
I was my fastest and my healthiest and my happiest the fall of my senior year. And I was so excited. That's when I committed to UNC. Like, I was really, honestly, the fastest I ever was at rowing and the biggest I'd ever been in my life, which was a completely normal size. But I just felt like I was so much bigger than, like, the rest of my friends who weren't rowers. So that winter was actually when I started losing a ton of weight. And um, I don't even think I realized what I was doing until my one of my good friends on my team reached out to my family members. So then they expressed concern and I had to go talk to someone about my eating and sort of just like, it was kind of my family who called me out on it and I started to realize that I had a problem, but no one really knew what to do. And it's not something you can really tell. Like I was doing things behind the scenes that my family wasn't aware of. So that was happening. And then I don't think I fully like accepted the fact that I had a problem until I got to UNC because I was really small that spring. And then that summer coming here, I kind of just was hanging out with friends, training, doing whatever. And then when I finally got to UNC, like, I began to lose even more weight and I think it was because once I got here and I was competing with people that were healthy their whole senior year, I was like at a huge disadvantage and wasn't pulling times I was used to seeing that previous fall when I was at my fastest. And I think like the reality set in that I had like kind of dug myself into a hole and I was at this disadvantage and it really stressed me out. And then throughout my entire freshman year, I just went through this even larger weight loss process. Like, I was just losing all this weight. I wasn't changing my eating habits. Like, I wasn't doing anything. I think it was just the anxiety, like, my body reacting to just, like, having this anxiety that I knew that I was kind of, like, I had harmed myself and I didn't know how to come back from it. So it, I had to, like, we talked to trainers. Like, I had to go through... I had to get a colonoscopy, like people thought, like I had, like we all thought it was like a gut problem, like I was just constantly going to the bathroom, no one could figure out why, I wasn't taking any laxatives, nothing, but um, looking back on it, like I pr basically wasted a lot of my freshman year, or not wasted, but a lot of potential I think I had was wasted, and the fact that I never was able to like accept that it was an like an eating problem. Um, was a big reason why I think I was unable to recover from it. Yeah, I think your stories in some ways share some similarities about um, like the recovery and how you said like the process getting back, you don't feel as strong and like you've struggled a lot there. And as you said, you you deal with the effects of the restriction that you had. And yeah. I've been with Charlotte like the past two years <laughs> yeah. and she's definitely re told me about um, kind of the stuff that she's dealt with with trying to get back and last night we were talking like before the podcast and she was just like I don't think I have recovered yet from yeah, the restriction and for sure and yeah and so I think that's really interesting and I'd love to hear Blair your thoughts and Charlotte your thoughts of like the post um, or the recovery slash post eating disorder period and how the restriction or how the eating disorder affected you now and like yeah. still affects you so Blair yeah. you want to yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on this one. <laughs> I think about this all the time. Um, one thing you said, or maybe Charlotte said it, mm -hmm. but wasted potential. That just really resonates yeah. with me about, I mean, I can think of like at least six to eight women athletes on the top of my head now that college careers were just trashed because of restriction and eating disorders. And it's just, it's so sad. Um, but as far as 
like effects of restriction. My psychologist that I'm seeing now said that restricting was like putting sleeper cells in your body. And I thought that was so funny because it's like you don't know at the time like the effects that restriction is going to have on you. But like months or years down the line, they turn on and you're like, whoa, <laughs> like I didn't think that was going to cause that. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, like I put a lot of sleeper cells in my own body, like that senior year of high school and freshman year of college that I'm still facing. Um, so that January of my freshman year when I got help, the nutritionist said I had a syndrome called the female athlete triad. And I'm not sure if anybody's heard of this, but there's like three markers and it's irregular or absent periods, low energy availability, which means you're not fueling yourself enough, and low bone density. So like those were three check marks mm -hmm. <laughs> for me. I had a stress fracture. I hadn't had my period in like two years. And I had obviously had disordered eating. So that's, I think that's a huge thing that a lot of athletes, female athletes deal with, with restriction. And that causes a lot of problems down the road. Um, but for me, as far as like my body breaking down, so that fall, I had a huge sleeping issue. I just, I was in a dorm room. So like mm -hmm. that causes, I just told myself like, you don't sleep in a dorm anyways. <laughs> like, but it really was like, when I was starving my body of the thing that it needed to function, like, it just started to shut down. So sleeping was an issue. I got a really bad cold and couldn't knock it for, like, five or six weeks, which is not normal. My immune mm -hmm. system was just shot. Um, and I remember this race for a long time, but it was the NCAA regional cross-country meet, and I was so near the back, like, this girl beside me just started walking. <laughs> and I was like, is this happening right now? <laughs> like, here I am at this... NCAA me and I'm beside somebody who's taking a walk break like what so that was a huge wake-up call um and then a week prior I like had this nasty bike wreck and I just didn't recover from it bruises lasting forever just like these physiological signs that mm -hmm. my body uh, wasn't healing so then fast forward three years my career unfortunately ended with medical retirement um but the final injury was a sacral stress fracture and most runners know that a sacral stress fracture is, like, the one that runners get when they're not eating enough and overtraining. It's, like, the marker of those two things. But at that time, when I got the injury, I wasn't doing either one of those. I was running, like, miles a week. And for anybody that knows running miles, that's, like, nothing <laughs> for a college athlete. So to get a sacral stress fracture off of 20 miles a week and not overtraining or underfueling was, like, a huge wake-up call that even two years later, this period of restriction was still affecting my health. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that. And I, like, was just shocked by some of the stuff that you said. And I can't imagine, like, what you've been through. So, again, just thank you both for sharing your stories. Like, yeah, I think um, what we're doing today and just talking about this, because it's, it's not talked about enough. Like, yeah. I always grew up playing soccer and, like, um, to my knowledge – did not have a teammate that had an eating disorder, but yeah. you never know what goes on behind the scenes. Um, I did have a best friend who would diet all the time in high school, and I would always say, I was like, that's just not healthy. Like, doing that to yourself is not healthy. Like, yeah. especially when you're an athlete and you have to be putting yeah. enough calories in your body to fuel yourself. And so I think just having this conversation and bringing these things up is so important. Um, and I think for me, I started to notice all of 
um, the things around me when I got to college, I've been fortunate enough not to deal with an eating yeah. disorder. And so that's why I really respect you guys and, and thank you for being here. But I think for me, my thing has always been body image. And I have to really thank my mom because she's always instilled upon me like, you know, you can never really change who you are. You are who you are. And like you need to be happy with who you are. Yeah. But when you deal with stuff like this, it's <clears throat> just you can't control that. And yeah. um, I think I've always just had to remind myself that I am an athlete and I look different than a lot of my friends in high school. Like what you're saying, all my friends were so thin and like we would go to the pool in the summer and I'm, you know, thick thighs, soccer player. <laughs> I'm like, geez, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so that was always really difficult for me. And, and I got to college and like the amount that we left Charlotte I and know. like yeah. rowing, I mean, it, your shoulders, <laughs> they get pretty big. Yeah. And like some of the stuff that has been said to me, even by my family, like, as jokes and stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I would say that I take it well, but sometimes it does take a toll on me. Like, I had a friend of mine um, that I went to high school with. He said to me, like, Jules, if your shoulders get any bigger, like, no guy's going to want to date you. And I yeah. was like, and, like, you know, he's joking, but I'm like, you... you don't think about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, you know, and I, I'll get in shirts some days, and I'm like, I, I can't wear this shirt. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't not wear this shirt. Like, I look really large and I don't want to look that way and instead of being proud of the fact that like yeah I can sit there and bench <laughs> a crap ton yeah you know I'm self-conscious about the way that my shoulders look in a shirt or the way that you know I, I don't look as what society views as feminine mm-hmm. as I used to when I was like smaller in high school and um so for me that's been a really big struggle in college and I've yeah. I feel like I've dealt with it well but I think it definitely plays a toll on me and you know, like, rowers have a very different build, as you were saying, Charlotte. Yeah. And, like, for example, I was with my family over the break, and um, someone in my family said, like, we were up in Philly, and someone in my family literally was talking about this rower that they knew. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, she looks like a man. And I was like, never say that, because yeah. it has such detrimental effects. And I was like, first of all, this woman has one, like, a silver medal, I think, or something yeah. like that. Like, she competed in the Olympics, so she's dope. And instead of <laughs> priding her on that, we're looking at her body instead of looking at her as an athlete. And I think that's the biggest underlying issue of, athlete, like, female no, athletics. Like, no matter how good we are, no matter what we do, yeah. it's always tied back into how we look. I mean, Serena Williams is the best example. Like, yeah, right. the greatest athlete mm-hmm. right now. She is. People will argue. More than anything yeah. Else. Yes. Yeah. She looks like a man, or she's too muscular, or she's too strong. It's like, or, she's all right, I've, yeah. I've had enough. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's just so such cool. a harmful culture, like all of this stuff. And I think some of the stuff that you guys have dealt with, some of the stuff that most college athletes have dealt with is just a culmination of this toxic societal pressure and culture. And then, yeah. um, Charlotte, we've talked a lot about this, and Blair, I'm mm-hmm. sure you have plenty to say. Um regarding the difference between what society views as beautiful and then what sports, what you need in sports to be successful. And I was talking um, to one of the girls on my team this morning. We were talking about you need to be toned, but you can't be too toned. You need to be ripped, like if you're an athlete. But if you're ripped, then people in society don't view you as, quote, unquote, attractive. And I think all of this just culminates into such a large issue and only continues to... Um, put extra pressures on female athletes um, because our bodies are still looked at as, like, we need to be attractive instead of being a successful athlete, like, or 
like you can't be you know like you, you can't, can't be both. both yeah and so um if anyone wants to talk to that or like anything that they've dealt with like comments that have been made to them about their impe- appearance rather than their performance um yeah um actually like first semester when we were going out together I remember um it was some like cocktail during the day and I was wearing some dress and I was I was out in public some man came up to me who I'd like didn't even know and we started talking like I, I don't even know yeah it was like a dad too it wasn't even a kid like an ignorant kid it was a full-blown father and he was like talking to us blah 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 like oh you play a sport here great like what do you play oh I'm on the rowing team and he was like oh girls don't like he's like rowers don't look like that and I was like oh what do you mean like you want to explain that? I remember that yeah and he was like oh well you're just wearing a really girly dress and you're not as big as I would have imagined and I was like, okay, well, thank you, I'm going to go. Like, it's stuff like that that just, and if I had already not gone through all this, I genuinely think that would have made me be like, oh, like, it's just small comments that add up for mm-hmm. sure, too. Like, your feelings, I don't even think I'm, like, someone that takes anything seriously, mm-hmm. but just having repeated comments, like, it gets in your head. Yeah. And then in high school, too, I just think the way, like, males talk a lot is, kind of ignorant or they don't even realize the effect it's going to have on the people around them. Mm -hmm. So just like a lot of my guy friends would joke around and say things about like women's sports or just girls' bodies that I always looked up to or thought like these girls were super athletic and they would be like, ew, she's so big or she's so thick. And I was like, well, I thought she was like just some amazing athlete who I always have like aspired to be like. So it's that kind of stuff where you're just like, oh, maybe I should think twice obviously females want to be both like we we all want to be a fantastic athlete and like at the end of the day like everybody of course wants to be viewed as attractive it's just a natural thing and it's just it it takes like a lot to realize like you don't have to conform to what people view as attractive and it's just it's such a hard thing to deal with but people I think need to start being more aware of the comments that they make and the effects that it has on people like Mm -hmm. telling somebody that they have man shoulders or look like a man or whatever and and uh, Rachel, the sports nutritionist, was talking about this, about complimenting people rather than their appearance. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's such an important thing that is so overlooked. Like, why do we always tie it back to appearance? You know, like, you had a great race today. Not like, oh, you look skinny today. Or, like, you know, like, or, yeah. you know, like, Charlotte, you're a really nice person. Not like, oh, Charlotte, you look skinny. Like, you yeah. know, instead of t- I think it's just, it's a very toxic thing. And Rachel and I were talking about that. And so um, I thought that was like such a thing that's overlooked. Like, why do we always tie compliments to how people look? Yeah. And I think a sad reality too is like once you hear all these things and then you make this unhealthy change. Like I always thought when I was like cutting weight or when I was losing all of this weight that I was going to feel so great after I did it. And then once I lost all this weight, I... Was, had no energy, like, had no personality, lost, like, ton of friendships. Like, no one wants to hang around someone that's constantly just, like, exhausted and in a crabby mood because you're starving. Like, no one wants to, like, you're hangry all the time. No one wants to be around that. And then also, like, after I lost a ton of weight, like, my sister and, like, my dad, like, people were like, you look sickly. Like, you look sick. And then it's like, okay, well, great. Now, like, I did the opposite (laughs) of what, like, it's just you can't, there's no, like, happy medium. And then it's just really, I think, heartbreaking for people who think that, like, disordered eating is an answer to what you're looking for because it's not. And then you just are made out to be some, like, 
gross, sickly, skinny, like, it's just never, there's no perfect answer. Yeah. yeah, and then as you're dealing with that, too, people are then making comments about it. Yeah. And it just continues this and trend. And then people are like, oh, ew, she's so gross, she had an eating disorder, like, oh, it's such a shame, like, then don't say things like, well, you looked like a man when you had your, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's and instead hard. of being supportive. And I don't think people yeah. are doing it on purpose, and I don't think the culture is, like, always, you're not, you don't realize what you're saying is, like, not mm-hmm. positive, but, um, yeah, I think it affects yeah. people. This is kind of touching on what you said about, um, like, normalizing disordered eating in yeah. society. Like, for what it's worth, like, I mean, the diet culture is, like, a huge mm-hmm. industry, and, like, all these health fads are, like, trending now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know all the I mean? time. There's right. a new one, like, every, <laughs> every day. People are like, oh, have you heard of this? I'm like, yeah. There's so, like, all these things, like, keto, paleo, intermittent mm-hmm. fasting. Yeah. And, like, I read somewhere that, like, a third of what you put into your body, like, goes to your brain to, like, fuel your brain. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you're starving your body, you're starving your brain. Yeah. So it's, like, no wonder you're grouchy, hangry, yeah. like, in a bad oh. mood. Like, mm-hmm. Like, if your brain is nourished, then you're not going to be preoccupied with thinking about food all the time. Like, healthy minds just don't do that. So that was a huge, like, motivating factor to get me, like, back on the right track was, like, literally, if you're not feeding yourself, like, it's just biology. Yeah, your brain. No wonder you're, like, feeling so crappy all the time. Like, it doesn't have enough energy to work. Mm -hmm. So, like, normalizing intermittent fasting and all of these, like, obviously disordered eating things in society are just like the intersection of like I think society and sport and it's just so tricky to like essentially like call people out and be like that's not (laughs) that's not normal and having those conversations with people are it's uncomfortable I mean I had one of my best friends like constantly goes on diets and I'm like this is not like this is not effective like you're hurting yourself like you're not eating enough calories to support yourself as an athlete um, and it comes from, you know, like I, I know exactly what was the cause of hers and like I'm not going to admit that on a podcast, you know, yeah. like I was there, present for some comments that were made to her and I like if somebody had said some of the things that were said to her, like I think I'd be devastated. Like people just don't realize like saying these yeah. things and then also like supporting these unhealthy diets, like instead of our culture saying, all right, like let's all just like not do this like Mm -hmm. let's let's eat and like also like food is great like enjoy eating like it doesn't have to be like you don't have to not enjoy what you're eating and I think people are like oh I have to be so healthy and you know like now that I'm on keto like I can only eat this and and not eat this and it's like thinking about that all the time is just not so bad for you yeah yeah Yeah. I think uh or I just thought of this when you said like thinking about all the time is that like two things running and restriction have in common or like willpower and discipline so like yeah if you're running like you have to be really comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes running sucks like you don't want to like grind out miles on the track or like a long run but you have to be like uncomfortable with that or comfortable with the like yeah. discomfort yeah, of that yeah, yeah. and like that's kind of the same with or how my experience with the restriction was it's like Starving yourself is not comfortable. Yeah. Not feeding mm-hmm. yourself is not comfortable. But because that's okay in running, just if you, like, extrapolate that onto restriction, it's like, no, this is okay. And it's like, no, that's yeah, not okay. Yeah. Or, like, a badge of honor that you're being, like, disciplined. Yeah. And restricting yourself, like, that's not something that you should be proud of. 
Yeah, that's that's such a good point to bring up. Also, wait, just yeah, going go, off of yeah, what go for you it. were saying earlier, I just thought about this. The um, brain stuff, like how you're, I always thought just having like my disordered eating, I was like, oh, I'm just going to get one, get faster because I'm going to be lighter Two, like it is just the opposite of what you think. And then I didn't realize last year, especially the effect it had on like my academics mm-hmm. was crazy. Like I loved school in high school, totally succeeded, like enjoyed going to class. And then last year it could not have been like more opposite. I was sleeping all day, mm-hmm. had no energy, never left my room, never wanted to go out, never wanted to socialize, and then just completing, like, having to go to practice, like, hungry, you're already just, like, I'm depleted, and then having to go home and, like, have a ton of work to do, like, that's already hard to do as a, a healthy athlete. <laughs> Last year, I would just, like, I would just go to bed. Like, I just couldn't get my work done. And I think that was my biggest reality check. Last year was, like, I have never done this poorly in school, and I've never had to, I don't know, understand that there it wasn't my fault. Like, I was doing this subconsciously, and I needed to, like, understand that and, like, fix it. Yeah. It was scary. It is so scary, like, how all this is tied together, and, like, it just can really, like, ruin your life in some ways or for a yeah, period of time. Like, it can places. put you on hold, and mm-hmm. I think... Blair, like, your story is so powerful, and, like, you know, you talked about how your eating disorder, basically, I mean, it, it, it did cause these injuries, as you are saying, you know, and uh, they warn us every year, the nutritionists, they're like, guys, like, if you think you have a problem, or you notice a teammate has a problem, like, you have to speak out, because it can lead, when you lose your period, it can lead to broken bones, and broken bones, like, mm-hmm. can really put a damper on your career, if not, you know, Blair, like, you have... You have been through it, and just, I I can't even imagine. I really can't. That's one of the reasons I'm so glad we're having this, like, open conversation Mm -hmm. is I'm thinking, like, what if I would have heard this as, like, a senior in high school? (laughs) You know? like So true. It's, like, I I never, if you had told me that my college career would have ended like this, I would have laughed. (laughs) Like, I never, in high school, I wasn't aware that, like, disordered eating in sport was even an issue like it was just such a non-issue in my school and my team Mm -hmm. and then I come to college and I just realize like how pervasive it is and like how swept in you can be yeah Um, and then like speaking to like coaches and nutritionists it's like it's not enough to be like neutral on the issue to not say anything it's Mm -hmm. like such an issue that you need to address it and like you said if you do see an athlete or teammates struggling, like, you need to say something because yeah. that could be their career on the line, which is not how either one of you want. Yeah, and of <laughs> course, too, yeah. they're your friends and, like, bringing that up. And, and I think, too, I felt horrible after Charlotte last year opened up to me about that she was, like, dealing yeah. with the repercussions of her eating disorder because I honestly just wasn't paying attention. You yeah. know, I wasn't paying enough attention and I wish I, you know, yeah, had been there. Yeah, and it was my first year. Like, yeah. I should have taken the initiative to, like, tell or just have someone be aware of my situation. Yeah. Because, like, I didn't know anyone coming here from Chicago. Yeah. So how was someone supposed to identify that I was, like, having reoccurring issues? Yeah. Because I thought I was going to be healthy when I got here, so I felt no urge to, like, express concern to mm-hmm. anyone. And I thought, like, coming here, I was like... I don't want to tell the trainers that I had an eating disorder. I don't want to say that I've had... Because I just have so many people that have said that they have problems, and then you're on watch, which you should be. (laughs) But at the same time, you're like, 
I don't want that. Like, I just want to do my own thing and see if I can recover on my own. Yeah, you like, wanted I to totally start over. I could do it on my and own. And then, yeah, it kind of came to bite you. Awful. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I think just, just having this conversation, yeah, and having this conversation and, like, really understanding, like, even how you can just be a help to others, and that's just getting them help, you know, like, being yeah. like. And not being afraid that their yeah. feelings will be hurt. Like, the girl who told my parents, yeah. I think she was one of my best friends, and I was shocked, and I will say, like, when my parents came to me for, like, five seconds, I was pissed. I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, who outed, like, this is a joke. But now and you're now like. And now I'm like, you changed a lot of things that could have gone even worse, yeah. which is, like, the best thing you could do for someone. Yeah, and I want to talk about, too, you know, lightweight rowing does give people an opportunity to perform because like on our team we always talk about our team is very different like our the bodies across our team is is just very different like we have Mm -hmm. girls who are six two we have girls who are five two um so obviously weight varies based on that but lightweight rowing gives people who are smaller a chance to compete and even though that's great yeah lightweight rowing is pounds okay well (laughs) i'm like five seven and it's pounds all of high school and all of college exactly and like men's is one and then when they go to college, it ups. It, it just goes to show, again, that women, like, yeah. are supposed to stay small and How is someone little. supposed to maintain the same weight? One, from high school, you're, yeah. you're growing. And then two, <laughs> go to a college program. Where you're lifting. And up your volume mm-hmm. an insane amount. And then, oh, miraculously, you're just going to yeah. be the same size. And like, so, I don't know. yeah, we talk about yeah. this all the time. Like, how can, like, U.S. rowing, that's the standards that they set. How does that make any sense? And fortunately, we row in a conference. The ACC does not have lightweight rowing for these reasons because it's yeah. – if I weighed – I would be considered more lightweight like because yeah. I'm smaller. I'm just yeah, a smaller yeah. person. Like I'm 5'6", and Carl's on our team are 5'11". Yeah. Um, I would be underweight if I cut to be a, to be yeah. a lightweight. And cutting, too, is not healthy because – you're taking people who aren't natural lightweights, so yeah. a lot of people that row lightweight are natural lightweights, but you're promoting these habits. And can either, I think it can either be really healthy or really unhealthy, yeah. and the problem with it, I think the reason U.S. rowing's been having some backlash right now is because high school rowing, like, you're, you don't have the resources you have at UNC. You don't have a trainer. You don't have a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. You have your coach who knows what their background is and it's their job to provide you with this information and like you don't know what information you're going to receive and luckily my program I couldn't have been with a better coach like they were so pro like healthy we were always checking to make sure your like fat levels were where they should be like Mm -hmm. everything they did in high school was right I just think it's hard because not everyone's receiving that same treatment. Yeah. So that's where there's room for error. And then, too, not upping that weight when you go to college. So staying out yeah. sub is pretty... And being in, like, a... Co- like, you're supposed to go to college and, like... You don't know what's going to happen. Like, you're eating in a dining hall. Your yeah. hours are off. You're not sleeping. Like... But also, yeah, You shouldn't one, have to stress... That should yeah. be another stressor on your college experience. Yeah. But then... And I think there's as, a lot of stories that come out that take away from mm-hmm. a lot of their success... And I don't think that's always fair because mm-hmm. I think there are girls who can do it and should do it, and it's amazing. But it's just, like, spreading the awareness. Like, you're talking about, like, just having people hear these stories that are in high school yeah. just so you do it the right way is but important. I th- yeah, but going off that, too, I think spreading these stories is so important because there is a lot of unhealthy habits that come with lightweight yeah. rowing. Um, I had to cut off a girl's entire ponytail. 
to make weight. <laughs> like, that's just yeah, absurd. Yeah, we cut out, like, our uniforms. We'd cut out the liner. Like, I wouldn't wear a bra, underwear, what? nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Underwear, yeah. I'd take off all my jewelry, no socks. Like, I was, like, <laughs> like hold my breath on the scale. <laughs> like, literally. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> your experience, like, as you told me, was healthy. You ate. Yeah, you did things. Yeah, I loved it. And I think I was healthy in high but school I think, until the end. Yeah. We have to stand up and promote a healthy culture and not promote these horrible, horrible habits. Yeah, that it's just only... talking about it. Like, I yeah. really think that's all it takes is just, like, having someone sit down with you and explain to you the, like, consequences you will face if you choose this unhealthy path. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I wish I would have known. Running has, like, a... There are definitely, like, certain code words or buzzwords in the culture that have, like, bad connotations. So, like, uh, race weight is a term that like coaches or athletes will throw around this like arbitrary like way too low number that somebody has to reach on a scale in order to run fast and like in my eyes if like somebody's throwing that around it's like some other part of training is not adding up so Mm -hmm. let's try and find this like one thing we can quantify and look at to try and make a change Mm -hmm. as a sort of shortcut when it's really just gonna like harm you down the road um and then also words like this may be the same in rowing, but, like, mm-hmm. saying somebody looks fit versus strong. Yeah. They're yeah, just, like, yeah. such euphemisms for, like, you look small or you look big. Yeah. And, like, as somebody who's always been on the, like, strong receiving end, I try it or I try to, like, internalize that as yeah. a positive thing, you yeah. know? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. maybe I, like, do look <laughs> strong. But, like, when you hear it being tossed around, like, oh, you look fit, it's, like, why do you, like, number one, why do you have to say, like, fit and strong? And if you do use those words, like, don't say you look fit or you look strong. Just say, like, you are fit. You have a high fitness level or you yeah, are exactly. strong. Like, yes. it doesn't yeah. always have to be associated with looks. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's what we were saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It always comes down to how you look instead of, like, how you perform. Like, right. you had a strong performance today. You, you are a strong athlete. Oh, you look strong or, oh, you know... Right, yeah. the results You don't look as fit as you could look, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the results aren't showing, like, what your appearance was. Yeah, <laughs> it's like exactly. You ran a exactly. five-minute mile, not you looked like a five-minute <laughs> mile. Yeah, exactly. Like, so why does it matter yeah. how you look, and what? why does it matter what the scale says? And I think that's, like, such an important thing, because it's, like, if you're performing well at whatever weight you're at, why? Why do coaches, and why does, not even coaches, because a lot of coaches, you know, don't support this type of behavior and, and things, but why does society say... You know, it has to be this way. And, like, Blair, like, you've spoken to it, but the thin runner stereotype, like, why do runners always have to be stick thin? Like, they don't have to be. You don't have to be thin stick to be a great runner. Like, there's yeah. there's nothing there that, you And know, I think a lot of coaches that I've, like, encountered don't, like, weight is a touchy subject. Mm-hmm. But, like, in athletics, I don't. You shouldn't not be talking to your athletes about weight because you think, like, oh, it's touchy, it's, like, you should make sure that they're healthy, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a huge thing, too. Yeah, and especially... Like, not wanting to offend someone, I understand, but, like, knowing you should be able to confirm that they're healthy and that they're at a good place without... Yeah, and I think we're really fortunate that we go to UNC and we have, like, such a great sports nutrition, like, Mm -hmm. program, and and they can come speak to the team, and, you know, if coaches aren't comfortable or just making sure that everybody on your team is taking care of themselves and being healthy and not doing something that could really like affect their whole career or even end their career you know in the long term so having these conversations sitting down with sports nutrition like 
as athletes and making sure that we're, you know, sometimes you might not even realize that you're not feeling your body properly. Yeah. Like when, like my first fall rowing, I realized I was not eating enough and I could feel the effects and it wasn't intentional. It's just the fact that I didn't realize I had to eat, you know, we triple your calories. Tri- yeah, <laughs> literally double the amount of what a normal person eats per day. Yeah. Um, it's definitely an adjustment and like making sure that you understand that as an athlete, whether or not you have disordered eating, but just understanding like being healthy and, and eating enough and feeling your body um, yeah. is so important. Um, this has been a great conversation, I think. Yeah. Um, I have like, uh, I guess, kind of closing like eating disorders and disordered eating like thrive in silence. Like it exists because yeah. nobody talks about it and nobody wants to talk about it. And like Charlotte said, coaches so don't want to offend people. Yeah. Like the people that have eating disorders are in denial about having eating yeah. disorders. <laughs> so true. So like <laughs> there's like a few like I think tangible things that you can do to mm-hmm. like try and change this culture. And one and Jules, you talked about this talking to the sports nutritionist, but like don't make appearance-related compliments to people. I know society is so driven by, like, looks and appearance, but, like, if you think about, like, your friends and why you're friends with them, like, it's not because they have, like, good hair or, like, (laughs) good arms. It's because, like, (laughs) they make you laugh or, like, you enjoy their sense of humor. So, like, tell people that. And so, like, when you compliment people, it can be an adjustment, but, like, try and go for those things versus, like, complimenting on somebody's body mm-hmm. yeah um and then again with the coaches thing it's like coaches if you're listening out there like just do not mention weight or food at all there's billions of other conversation starters that you could have and like to make a comment on what somebody's eating or mm-hmm. their weight yeah. or your own weight or your own food choices can just be incredibly triggering for people so yeah. like just don't even broach that conversation subject and it's I think that will make a huge difference in the sport. Yeah. Thank you, Blair, for sharing. Um, And just going off that, we're going to include some additional resources for anybody listening. Um, If they're struggling or if anyone they know um, are struggling, we're going to include some resources for you. And then specifically UNC athletes, if you're listening to this, just remember you have a whole sports nutrition staff that's there just to support you. Um, So please reach out to them if you or one of your teammates is dealing with anything. But can just I add one more thing. Yes, go ahead. Oh, go I was ahead. just gonna, going off of that. I was just gonna say, um, for people that are like notice that someone has something going mm-hmm. on, I'm so grateful that like my sister, like my sister noticed when I was making myself like purging, and I think there are so many people, and I hear so many conversations of like, oh, so and so, like she looks so skinny, like I can tell she's not doing well or something, but then they're just saying that to their other friends. Yeah. Like, go, like, you don't need to t- talk to her if that, like, you know that she's going to get really defensive or whatever. But, like, tell a family member or just tell someone that cares, that's close with them, so they can keep an eye on the person. And just, like, I think there's so many people these days, and, like, it's such a normal thing to be, like, oh, just talking about weight and commenting on how people look and, like, oh, she's too skinny, she's too this, she's too that. But, like, if you notice something, get someone help. Like, don't just talk about it and then throw it to the side and be like, yep. And continue to judge them. And, like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. get someone in their life to, like, acknowledge it too just so they have someone to. Yeah, instead of judging everybody around you, like, we should be, supporting our friends, our teammates, yeah. our family. And just because if they get defensive, don't just give up on the cause. I know a lot of people who've tried to help people with eating disorders mm-hmm. who have then been, like, 
kind of like push them away and then they're like okay well she's being a jerk like well she's probably being a jerk or being like mean to you because something's going on like don't just let that initial like awkward interaction with someone like make you not want to help them anymore like just keep up with it yeah. yeah. Um, and just again, like, we're, we'll definitely provide resources, but awesome. we really hope that having this conversation today, like, gives people the confidence to seek help and ho- hopefully can help people deal with this stuff before mm-hmm. they ever have to go through what yeah. Charlotte and Blair went through. So, first of all, thank you guys so much for sharing your stories because I know that's deeply personal and it takes a lot of courage to come here. We don't know how many people will listen to this, but hopefully people do and and we can help somebody out there. Even if it's one person, it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys all for tuning in. Thank you, Charlotte Melgard and Blair Ramsey for coming today. This has been Benched with Jules McKeeah. We hope you'll tune in next time.